You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Yeah. You know, I, mm. I think we should keep this song in our act. Yes, I would agree. It's, it's not bad. It's, it's all right, not bad. It? Um, good afternoon, everyone. It is the afternoon here, an afternoon of a little bit more sleeping in. Yes. to... Uh, well, the pulling of daylight saving. Someone actually said mm-hmm. we should maybe just keep it all the year round because the time we really need the extra daylight is when yes. there's less sunlight. That's true. Like it's very dark in the morning if you don't mm. put the clocks back. Oh, yeah. So we'll all wake up tomorrow and we we'll go. Oh, it's oh, light. It's all dark. The sunshine. Yeah. Um, and uh, something about the cows it puts the cows off. Fades the curtains. All that. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Cameron Smith. How Hello, are you? Matt Stedman. Thank you to the scientists at twelve oh three here on three triple R FM. We have got a big show for you. We've got a few mm. people we're going to talk to. We're mm. kind of excited. There's a new neighbour coming across yes. the road. We'll find out about that a little bit later. Um, but. It's autumn in Melbourne. Yes. Gee, it looked pretty driving in. It was very nice today, wasn't it? Yeah, there's some beautiful, beautiful colours. And mm-hmm. uh, one place where I can say that there'll be absolutely gorgeous colours mm-hmm. will be around the lake house in Dalesford. And we're going to be speaking to the wolf mother, yes. Ella Wolf-Tasker, uh, about her regional producer's day. Yes, which is coming up uh, shortly. Next week, yes. April 17th, 10.30 to 3.30 p.m. And then also... Oh, April 17th, that's not next week. Oh, it is not. We'll get these details sorted before we speak to Ella. <laughs> we'll get we'll get our best people right on it. Oh, it's a good thing we've got... I've got a sub-editor here. His yes. name's Matt Stedman. <laughs> that's it. Uh, yes, and uh, on the 18th will be... Uh, which is not next week. No. Confirmed. Uh, there'll be a producer's forum, which uh, sounds kind of interesting yes. too. But we're going to have a chat to Alla about uh, what's going on there. Mm. Richard Cornish, the uh, food writer extraordinaire. Yes. Talks just about the end of an era. And the end of this era just passes with just a sigh. Mm. A sad sigh. We'll find out about it. Well, we'll see what you feel about it. Uh, Richard feels strongly about... The uh, well, the re- revocation of commercial fishing licences in Port Phillip Bay. Yes, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, we might just thrash it out. But um, Richard's got some thoughts on that. And then Pierre Roloff, who has just walked in, has he? Yeah. He's here. He's timed that very well. There he is. Just oh, for his he, introduction. He's looking good too, and he's saluting. Yes. Hi, Pierre. Um, he's going to be coming in because um, he's our new neighbour. Yes. Neighbor. Our good friends across the road at Milkwood. Should be cooking desserts for one another. <laughs> yeah. But uh, maybe not for each other, but no. if you come to uh, Milkwood uh, soon, in fact, from April 7th, got that one right. As preferred by one Rupert Murdoch. Well, I don't know about Pierre's desserts, but no. uh, we did cite him once, which was extraordinary, yes, wasn't it? Having a, having a latte outside. I don't know if Rupert Murdoch's going to be coming for this because he's probably busy looking after his new wife. And his 800 children. Yes. Mm. Uh, but uh, Pierre's going to be there, mm. and um, he's going to be doing his, de- well, wonderful signature, unique, incredible, artistic, gorgeous degestations of dessert the dd yes we might be having a double dissolution coming to us but no (laughs) we've got a better dd for you we do um so he's going to talk to us uh last which um is fair enough Mm. but 
Um, what have we got? We've got a few things that uh, – a little bit of things that we've got to mention. Yes. We should say thanks to the scientists too. We've already left the building. But thank you to the Einstein Agogo for an excellent hour and some live music, which was good. Oh, yeah, the live music was good. It was it? good. I kind of enjoyed that. Mm. I really did. Me too. Um, yes. Uh, now, what have we got here? Um, oh, I'd also like to say that I am powered by a fabulous uh, bung me. Yes. From Victoria Street. It must have been good because you didn't offer to share it. No, I didn't give you any of it. <laughs> this is really good, and I'm not giving you Where's any. Where's it from? So you, you came in via Victoria Street, and you got your barmy from... Fookthang. P-H-U-O-C-T-H-A-N, 206 Victoria Street. My, in my humble view, maybe one of the best in Melbourne. Yeah, that's a big call. For a princely sum between four fifty and 5 bucks. And they're good, and they're cheap. I love a barmy. Yeah, they're good. pretty dang good. Um... Now, we just wanted to mention something. Do you like a Devonshire tea? I do like a Devonshire tea. I, I don't have scone. them often enough. No. Mm. No, but when you have them, you just go, hey, this is really good. It's really good. Uh, wow. You know, it's all about this a scone. Scone's got to be good, though. You, none of this. If, it, if the scone's bad, then I'll walk tea's away. Off. Yeah. yeah, walk away. Yeah, just drop it. Okay, I'm not paying <laughs> yeah. money for this. Back up slowly. No way. Yeah. Um, we're out of here. We're going to jump the fence. Yeah. But you won't have to do that at uh, Christchurch, which is... Um, not in New Zealand, as I thought. Yes. 14 Ackland Street on the hill. There's this gorgeous old church there, and there's a charity community group there that work there. Yes. And check this out for great value. Mm. Three halves of scones. Jam. Yes. Cream. Yes. A pot of tea. Yes. All for the princely sum of $5. That is pretty good. I reckon that sounds When good. is that? That's happening April 9th, which is... Which is uh, next weekend. Thank you, man. Um, and that's in St Kilda. You said Ackland Street, of course. Yeah, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Yes. Uh, it's a fundraiser. Apparently, there's an open mic there, so maybe old <laughs> St Kilda Musos might go there. If, or young St Kilda Musos, Might just too. go there and close it. Yes. <laughs> you left this mic open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were going to mention some stuff about uh, the April Amnesty. and yes. Specifically, April after dark. This is very cool. So April Amnesty, of course, is Triple R's polite nudge for you to subscribe. A polite nudge? Yeah. So if, you, like uh, if you're listening to us nudge. Yes. and you do listen fairly regularly but you don't subscribe, yes. we're not going to come after you. Oh, you're not going to do your normal hunch you down. And, so this is a reprieve from yes. Matt trying to... Because Matt gets a little bit pathological about these sort of things. Yeah, and be, um, if he finds out you're not a subscriber, usually what he says is, I will come out and... And kill you. Well, we'll hunt you down Hunt first. you down, yes. yes. But for April Amnesty... Like a pack of beagles after a fox. <laughs> That's... Yes. But if you know you're a non-subscriber, you just want to dob yourself in, it's a good time of year just to uh, pledge your subscription to the station. There are prizes. And this year, um, there's a cool thing called April After Dark. April After Dark. Which for one week is all of Triple R's 10 p.m. shows uh, live from the performance space, including live bands. Max has got uh, Chris Wilson and Kerry Simpson on. Yes. It's going to be good. Sounds good. Check it out. And uh, I want to do one more thing, mm. which is a shout-out, because I had a pizza that was an innovation. Really? Innovative pizza. Right. Maybe not. Maybe it's already been done. But it's the first yes. time I've ever seen it. And I was at a place, believe it or not, mm. on Mount Macedon. Mm. And it's a long way to go for a pizza. It yeah. is, but it was worth it, yeah. because I went to a place called Red Ida with uh, Dave and Janet, who run this gorgeous little place in... Oh, that is so good. And I had a thing called a salty sailor. Right. And a salty sailor is yes. just this gorgeous, um, not, you know, not giant family size, you mm -hmm. know, 
pizza yep. in a wood-fired oven. So about your 12 inches, yeah? Yeah, holding that up to 12 yep. inches. Um, uh, white blanco, if we were Italiano, but we're not, so we won't go there. It was white, yeah. right? Yeah. Cheese, um, bit of rocket and a little bit of cheese grater. But then mm-hmm. on the side, you get a little tin of anchovies. Mm-hmm. And then you just put it on yourself and mm-hmm. you build your own. And it was, and it was really, really nice. But uh, It looked good. You sent me a photo. Red Ida. Um, there and uh, yes, I found a saint just very, mm. very quickly. We've got two just to say that we don't uh, hang out too much of those Catholic churches. So mm. we say good on you, the feast of Akang, the Mayan god of wine, and it's also Saint Urban of Longres Day. And he's the uh, I'm assuming it's a he patron of barrel makers, coopers, and vintners. It's 12 11. We've got to get a move on. We should crack on. We're going to talk to Ella Wolf-Tasker from Dalesford straight after this. 12, 12 and a half here on 3 Triple RFM. And it's autumn and it's an absolutely, well, it's a little bit overcast, mm. but it's a, it's a lovely part of the year, a lovely part of the calendar, a good day to be alive. And there is no place that reflects the joy and the beautiful colours of autumn than being on the lake in Dalesford at Lake House. And we're going there live because Ella Wolf-Tasker is on the other end of the phone and, gosh, we're excited. Ella, are you there? Yes, I'm here and I'm excited too, Cass. Well, thank God you were there because <laughs> otherwise it would have been just... A blah, blah. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, we've got a music track. I suppose we could do that. Ella, yeah. hello. Long time no speak. How are you? Good. And I've got to tell you, it is not overcast here. It's a beautiful sunny day, so suffer. Mm. Yeah, okay. So... Yes, and in the modern parlance, you would be saying, yeah, Cam, sucks to be you. <laughs> Something like that. I got Something that from like Matt that. the first time, and I thought that was fantastic. I nearly fell off my chair. Right. What's, um, so, Sundays. What usually goes on there on a Sunday? There's, and one thing well, about uh, these places, you have a rhythm, don't you, to the day. Oh, yeah. What are we oh, up yeah. to at this yeah. time of the day? Well, there is a rhythm because the bakers come in at about half past five and we do all our bread in the morning and croissants and pastries and all of the sort of the pasta prep, um, all of the things that sort of take up a lot of bench space get done very early in the morning and then all of the guests that are staying in the hotel come in for breakfast yeah. after their walks around the lake and, and um, they all swear they're not going to eat anything because they had a big dinner the night before and <laughs> they all fall into the food and have a big country breakfast anyway yeah, why not? and then go for another walk to walk it off um we uh, denise comes in and cleans up all of the flowers and adds to them and makes the place look beautiful the music comes on um there's a lot of prepping happening in the kitchen and then the first guests start arriving for lunch around about now and we have a big a big lunch service uh, and then in between guests sit on sit on the balcony or in the library bar and have drinks and then we clean it all up and start dinner so <laughs> there is a rhythm <laughs> there's a rhythm an unending rhythm and um, speaking of rhythms but um, if we stretch out the time frames a little bit longer we wanted to talk about the regional producers day which i can't believe is now in its 14th year yeah where does pretty- the time go Pretty amazing. Well, considering when we had our first producers' day, the farmers' markets weren't really functioning pretty much. There, there may have been one or two in Victoria and one or two in in uh, New South Wales, 
Oh, not even that possibly. Mm. So it was really the harbinger of a whole new movement and a whole new thinking about food. And I mean, it was timely because people were caring about the, the source of their food and wanting to reconnect with people that were growing their food. So it was definitely a building momentum. But that's when we started. But we used to have to really scratch the scratch to try and find enough local producers. Now um, there's just not enough room for the stalls because we opened the whole wow. grounds and the building and um, the tents and the tennis court and everything for producers as well as wine uh, makers. And uh, it's just a huge day. It's, uh, you know, people come in for breakfast with the producers. Some of them come in for breakfast and some of them roll up at various times during the day and they have tastings, uh, but they also shop. Uh, they'll bring a bag and shop and we'll keep it in the cool room for them until they've finished their yeah. day because we have cooking school, cooking classes running all day every 15 minutes. There's someone, uh, we've got the guy from River Cottage, Paul West, coming and one of the MasterChef winners and a couple of cookbook authors Presenting and all pulled together by Alice, Alice in Frames, Zaslavsky, who is, you know, a sort of force of nature. Yes. Uh, MCing the whole lot. And um, those cooks will walk around the market, pick up a few things, and then do a quick 15 minute demonstration in the demonstration kitchen. And meantime, there's music and people eating off the barbecue and buying cheese to take home and buying beef to take home and pork and charcuterie. So it's pretty splendid, but all the while rubbing shoulders with the people that produce the food and grow the food and being able to chat to them. That's what it's all about, reconnecting. So let's look back. How has it changed? Like, well, no, actually, forget the past. Let's talk about the, the present now. Yes, You're saying yes. that so regional produce... Would it be fair to say, how is business? Are people making money from it? Well, it's it, that's a very, very important question. Because uh, I could ask I... you the question, is it booming? And you'd be saying, yeah, well, there's heaps of things. But are people making a decent living from this? Well, I'm glad you're saying that because I think we've had a new wave of growers and producers. I think there was kind of a lot of tinkering around the edges 20 years ago and yeah. it was kind of seen as a very hippie kind of pardon the word, it's politically incorrect to say, but it was seen as sort of something that people kind of did while they were opting out of life, whereas uh, you know, I think you came uh, in 2010 we brought out Joel Salatin from Polyface Farm to Lake House. I remember that he, well. Yeah, he was here for a week of lectures and people were hanging from the roof they came from all over Australia to listen to him and his big shtick is that if you want to be a, a sustainable producer and yes, grow and produce your food sustainably, you also have to be sustainable economically mm. and he's produced a raft of books on the subject and um, teaches people in quite, quite an evangelical fashion of how to go about actually creating a sustainable small scale farm rather than big ag still looking after the soil and animal husbandry and, and ethical raising of, of, of animals as well as either biodynamics or organics but good production of food and how to be sustainable because he, his belief is that it's a business and you need to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe yeah. with other business. And I think this new breed of growers and producers are learning that. Um, there do have to be forums for them so they can get together and learn from each other. And so on the Monday after the Producers' Day at Lake House, we're 
actually running a produce for, forum just for that, for growers to connect with each other and chew the fat and discuss things, but also for chefs to come and meet them uh, because a lot of chefs keep lamenting about, you know, I can't get to the produce, I don't have enough time, the supply chain's wrong and, you know, it's just too hard, it's easier for me to ring a distributor and get, you know, something that I know is going to come. So hopefully that day will forge some connections between uh, chefs and restaurateurs and some of the best producers from all over Australia. Mondays we've got growers coming from New South Wales and Tasmania as well as Victoria. So that's going to be a really good day. That's all about talking to each other and telling stories and networking and making connections. And the Sunday is all about having a lot of, a lot of fun and tasting things. So It's sort of like the Sunday is the garden party. And the, and the Monday is let's do the business consulting and have a business forum about uh, this, well, this emerging vital industry that's, that's happening. Well, it is vital and it's interesting. Government really needs to sit up and take notice because, you know, the charter from the United Nations was actually written in 2010 that says quite clearly that if we want to feed the world in the future, the solution is in small-scale small-scale artisanal farms really? producing food for local communities and not big ag. Absolutely. So look, sorry, it up, look it up United on Google. Nations. There's a charter on small-scale sustainable farms and the future and it's something that just gets overlooked and everyone's, everyone thinks that big ag is the solution but big ag is actually not the solution. No, and I, we're I, proving I think... it. We're proving it all the time. Look, you know, Salatin has one of the most productive farms in, in America. Can we just, and... uh, just stop and have a little breath, Ella? Yes, okay. I can't. There you go. Can't. You know, you know, yeah, no, you no, know. no, just, just hold the phone. Let me just let me just cut across here, and I'll just give you a chance to breathe for a second. Yes. So, Joel Salatin, of course, is from Polyface Farms, Polyface ladies Farms. and gentlemen, yes. in the Shenandoah Valley. And if you Correct. want to look at um, the great, um, he's the the leader, and he's the one who's been leading us on um, into having uh, sustainable businesses, a small production that actually makes sense and make money. Over to you. Well, you know, I mean, if you know anything about farming, he manages to get 250 cow days per acre rather than the, the, the typical 80 cow days per acre that traditional agriculture gets. So, you know, that's just one of the, the myriad of things where he basically, he's not the only one, but he's certainly been one of the most vocal and most and, evangelical and um, pioneers, and yes, a, and pioneers. A pioneer of, of doing that. Can yes. I now, if I can ask you a question, you mentioned a few of the new breed that are coming in and yes. uh, I know it's sort of like saying, you know, you know, showing off your favourite children and we don't want to yes. do that but yes. can you maybe name a few of the people that you laud as being new producers that are doing things in a right way sustainable and uh, maybe with a bit of black on their balance sheet or Absol profit and loss I should absolutely. say Absolutely, I mean what's happening is, you know, it's been really tough to convert traditional uh, farmers. Um, so what you've actually got is new kinds of farmers that are coming in from totally different disciplines and quite a lot of them have got um, runs on the board in previous businesses, in running previous businesses, so they come with a whole heap of new skills mm -hmm. and they're wanting to fulfil a dream of you know, running a, a small scale biodynamics enterprise or organics or raising some, um, some rare breed pigs or uh, cattle or something like that. 
Um, you know, I can give you some examples. Milking Yard Farm down in our neck of the woods are producing summer lad chickens, um, and he's also now running Dorper lamb and uh, growing vegetables, and that's within two years um, showing runs on the board. Um, look, we have um, two or three um, local farms producing pork who are finding Different, every, there's a different solution for everyone. I mean, some mm. of them are selling direct to the consumer. Some of them are selling through distributors. One of the people coming to speak on Monday is Bundara Berkshires from New South Wales. They're an award-winning uh, pork producer, and they are now... Um, uh, they, they, well, they've got award-winning pork. Actually, the one I probably need to talk to you about is the ducks, and They're actually processing the ducks on farm, and um, they've also... And their ducks are winning awards, and they're certainly sustainable economically, really, right. really sustainable economically. There's, there's heaps of them. I mean, there's, there's just... It's an increasing picture all over Australia, good. and right. we, need well, to, we need to sit up and pay attention to it. Well, the news is good, Ella. Ella, um, so just to reiterate, the 14th year of the Regional Producers' Day, and uh, importantly for people in the industry the produce forum that's happening on monday april 18th 9 till 5 30 um you can go to the lake house to check that out i'm certainly going to be going up to have a look at that because i think it's going to be absolutely fascinating 17th and 18th i hope cam are you coming for both days i'll see <laughs> no actually i've got a um I'm, I'm going to be hosting a thing at bomber on um sunday an east gippsland producers luncheon that's uh, that's happening at oh, bomber which will be good Matt's Good. giving me the wind-up, and uh, he is the one that must be obeyed. Absolutely. For, uh, last thing, very quickly, I'm going to do one more thing, and Matt's going to scowl at me. Have you had any mushrooms yet? Uh, look, we just need more rain. We've had a few, but we need more rain, but All they're right. coming. We're going to pray for those. Ella, a big hug to you. Um, look forward to seeing you. Thanks for talking on the radio. Thanks, Cam. Big hug to you too. Bye. You rock. All right, 12.25. We made it at 12.25. Matt, you happy? <laughs> yes. You okay? <laughs> All right, Richard Cornish after this. Uh, as we said, the end of an era passes with a sigh. Oh, it's just all working today. It's Who like a well-oiled machine. Totally. I know, he's got a good voice, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. Uh, 12.26 here on the Mighty Trip, coming to you from the glorious part of Brunswick that is called... East mm. and uh, coming to you from the south is a gentleman by the name of Richard Cornish. Richard Cornish, are you there? Hello, I'm here. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. Uh, you've just been doing um, good things, riding on your bike apparently, and coming back <laughs> full of health, vim and vigor. <laughs> full of full of yamcha. <laughs> <laughs> That's you can do two hours on the bike and you can stuff your face with chicken feet. <laughs> and and all is good. How are the Hagao? Oh, they're good. Yes, I'm at the lovely Ripples in um, yeah. in uh, Melbourne. Oh, yeah. uh, I think the crew the crew are ex um, flower drum and they um it's all like cut price flower drum. It's it's good value. Oh, that's that sounds kind of good. But um, uh, one thing that's uh, been cut have been the lines to casting nets. We could say or sane pot nets. Um, Tell us about what's happened in Port Phillip Bay. Uh, well, that's it. It's uh, the uh, commercial uh, net fishing is over. Uh, after 170 years, the uh, professional fishermen of Port Phillip Bay have, yes. uh, have been legislated out of the living. 
the uh, both the Liberal and the Labor um, parties went to the election in 2014 and said to the people of Victoria, if you vote for us, we will ban uh, commercial fishing, more or less, in the bay. And uh, the uh, Dan Andrews did exactly that. He's a human of his word. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, and on the 31st of March 2016, uh, the professional fishing industry in Port Phillip Bay came to an end. What do we gain from this? Votes, votes with the uh, with the recreational fishers. They're a strong lobby. Seven hundred thousand uh, plus. Uh, by by and uh, the uh, Daniel Andrews government uh, uh, wanted to get another three hundred thousand uh, commercial. Uh, sorry, <laughs> recreational fishers onto Port Phillip Bay to, to enjoy it, to go out there and fish, right. and to to have a health part of a healthy lifestyle. I can see there. That's that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. But what it means, what it means is people like my mum. Yes. Who's 78 and has always loved snapper and loved whiting that's, that came out of, uh, fished out of Mornington mm-hmm. and fished out of Queenscliff. Yes. She doesn't get that anymore. She can't actually go out in a boat, nor can me. I don't go out in a boat. I don't, can't afford a boat. I went to, um, just landed fishing, yes. uh, fish shop in, um, in uh, Balaclava and got my Australian salmon. I got my sardines and, uh, flathead King George whiting and, and, uh, uh, squid and, and calamari that were almost still iridescing that they were so fresh no yeah. more that's it gone so all right what of where will our fish come from if it's not coming from i suppose there's uh, lakes entrance is uh, a big the, the big fishery as you know came at lake Entrance. i think you've gone out and seen it there yes uh, i have there, there's a there's a, a commercial fishery at um a corner inlet, and that's where uh, a, a little Sydney chef with a ponytail called Neil Perry gets his fish from. He he, he rates that fishery a corner inlet so highly that yeah. he gets his his fish uh, sent up to Sydney from there. And the reason that because it's a it's a shallow fishery, yes, and there's a lot of seagrass there, and and it's it just just is it just the same as cattle grazing? There's there's um, uh, fish there that are, that graze on the seagrass like whiting, and they it has its own terroir, it's merwar, it has its own special flavour. That's the first time I've ever heard that word. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. And, you know, each of these little fisheries has its own particular taste. Actually, in Port Phillip Bay, you can put a line in it um, at Port Arlington. It's going to taste different than stuff that comes out of uh, off by Morris. There there are different... Different flavours uh, in the in the water, depending on what sort of you know rocks underneath it, what's growing in the in the bay, oh, what, what other fish they're eating, what diet they have. Yeah, okay, so that's yeah. reflected in the in the in the catch you get. Well, to answer your question, if yeah, uh, Lake Entrance is a commercial fishery. Lake Entrance uh, uh, lawn. Uh, there was a co-op there, but that's probably not enough to supply down here with there. No, no, most, most of uh, no, but look, it's a big fishing's a big, big industry, and we've got prawns coming out of the um, out of the Gulf of Carpentaria. We've got uh, farm prawns coming out of uh, Queensland. Uh, we've got uh, fish coming out of South Australia, Western Australia. Uh, think about those little crayfish that are coming out of um, uh, little spiny lobsters are coming out of uh, WA. It's a, it's a national and international industry. We're getting a lot of fish, a lot of fish now coming out of the, uh, aquaculture. Uh, mm. globally. So we were looking at pulling uh, around about 650 tonnes per year um, uh, from, this was what the, the commercial fishers were doing. In your view, was that a sustainable thing? 
Uh, I don't. I'm could, not a, could I'm ever, not a, okay, but, uh, have you had a view expressed to you as to whether commercial fishers could coexist with recreational fishers? Well, the evidence is, uh, is there that they had done it for 170 years. Yes. Um, uh, there were, and we had a, a terrible situation with a scallop fisherman in uh, Port Phillip Bay where they did a lot of damage, a lot of environmental damage, and, and uh, thank goodness they have gone. That was because um, of the strip mining of the, the bottom using the, the yeah. dredges, wasn't it? That was... Yeah, big metal cages going down, just <laughs> really for strip mines. It's deforestation yeah. of, the, um, uh, of the bottom of the bay. Look, uh, when it went to the vote in uh, the um, Legislative Assembly in, uh, in uh, Spring Street, the Greens voted against the bill. Uh, both the Liberal and the Labor side of uh, politics, they voted for the bill. Uh, the Greens voted uh, voted against it, and even Greenpeace put their hand up, saying, "Look, you know, this is a sustainable fishery. Uh, this is, this is, you know, this is, this is, it is sustainable, has been, will be." Hmm. The, pro- the the problem seems to be that it's um, oh, we could sort of see this politics over sustainability, and uh, as someone quoted, who's uh, smarter than me, said, "Those that don't organise lose." The uh, professional fishermen of Port Phillip Bay never really coalesced. I've been out fishing yeah. and covered them for stories with the age, taking photographs, meet, meeting them. Yes, lovely bunch of blokes, uh, but they're not the type of blokes to get a you know to get a, a marketing company behind them and, and put a DOC on a denomination control a origin control a on those fish and say we've got a great product that comes out of a very special pa- a part of the world. Mm. Let's sell it as such. Let's, so let's market brand. ourselves. As a brand. They never branded. Yeah, right. They refused. They were invited time and time again to take part in the farmer's market, which would have given them a, a physical presence yes. on land. And a legitimacy. Can, legitimacy. And they would have been able to sell, hand sell their story to the, uh, to the uh, public, who then become advocates for them, and they would have had a voice and then uh, some support and some political weight behind them. But as they went about uh, their jobs, mostly at, in the, uh, at dusk or at dawn, uh, in very small boats, mm. the boats were being t- were towed behind the backs of four-wheel drive. We're not talking big trawlers here. We're talking small fishing boats. Yeah. They went about their work quietly, silently, unseen. And, uh, and self-policing and that, too, wasn't it? That was the thing. They all kept an eye on each other. So, you know, if, <laughs> if Barry started taking too much, you know, flatheads or whatever, there was going to be words. And, and it was self-policing too, wasn't it? Yeah, there were also police as, as well by the department. Uh, yeah. Then some of the blokes did end up in, on the on the uh, wrong side of the uh, the court. Um, they were somewhere fined for uh, you know, mis you know misquoting, uh, going over the quotas. But yeah, and that yeah, you know, and bad luck, you know, that that happened, and uh, that was, you know, and I had no sympathy for people like that. But most mm. of them were pretty were pretty, were pretty good. But that's it; it's gone. There's there no chance of it being revitalised in the near term, medium term? My reading, my reading of the, <clears throat> the bill says that they can, uh, they had been using purse sane netting, yes. which is an old-fashioned form of netting, but they can, that's gone, can't yeah. do that, they can use lines, they can use hooked lines. Oh, that's just, that's not, they can't make money from that, can they? You can't make money from that in the bay just because of the, um, the types of fish. Yeah. Like, you, know, you mean, can't catch calamari on them. You can't catch sardines uh, on them. You can't catch white bait on them. It's not like you're pulling in tuna and having a hard yakker ad sort of coming around it, is it? No. No. So, uh, no, will it be political will? I don't think so. I don't, 
I, I can't imagine a politician saying, let's bring back commercial fishing because people think commercial fishing, they're thinking the star of Geelong, you know, those great big uh, uh, Dutch-built super trawlers that just suck the life out of the ocean. That's strip mining of the sea. I mean, this is this yeah. is completely... Anyway, well, okay, well, uh, what, what can we do? We've... We've highlighted it. We've, uh, I guess, what do we do, Richard? We mourn it and say that something special that has been uh, family-run industries that have gone on for generations has come to an end. And we talk about regionalism. And if we're in a fish and chip shop looking at the bay, we can't actually taste fish from the bay. I think we should be taking this as a very, very... uh, Take a lesson lesson from this. Uh, And when next time, to say... Uh, corner Inlet comes up for, for debate uh, and people say let's stop commercial fishing in Corner Inlet. If you want to have local fish, you, you've got a right to your member. Yeah. But they also extrapolate that across the food scene. You know, yeah. do, you want, you know, do you want raw milk cheese? Do you want to have dry aged beef? Do you want to have access to really good quali- quality milk that hasn't been put through a you know, <laughs> horrendous industrial process? Yeah. You, you, have to, you have to fight for your right to get good, clean, ethical food because there is a, a really powerful big food lobby that want you to shut up, sit down, and eat food out of a plastic bag. <laughs> oh God, why am I laughing? It's um, it, it's it is true. And uh, as we were speaking uh, with uh, Alla Wolf Tasker, she was saying, uh, "What was it? The 2010 United Nations Charter was saying it should be about small producers." Not about the food manufacturers to uh, to get us into the future for our nutrition and a whole bunch of other reasons, and I think we've just talked about one of them. Yeah, shut up, Cameron. You having fries? Yeah, that's it. And and why would you even try to chop up a pumpkin? You just need to open this tin for your soup. Um, Richard, I'll let you digest your uh, your fungot. Well, thank you very much. I'll get, I'll get back to my soilless green. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, just open up that uh, special plate. A delight to speak to you. Um, look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Richard. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, um, before we get Pierre Roloff mm-hmm. on, we um, I had a song I wanted to play for him, actually, because we were uh, thinking about... Uh, well, I suggested something to him. He might not want to speak about that. I'm not sure. But I said it could be kind of good with maybe the Dr. Zhivago strings. And, uh, yeah, hit it, Matt. This is one of those songs that if you're driving in the country, it's good. And even if you're in traffic, it can make it a little bit better. Hit it. Oh, he's put a big smile on my face. I asked for a sting and he just did it. Good on you, man. You really do station ideas, do you? Hey, no, not often. You're listening to 3 RFM. Thank you, Matt, yes. just so that we know. And uh, we have our new neighbour who's uh, come in. And uh, we just sort of, he needed, he came in because he wanted to borrow a cup of sugar, <laughs> of all things. Pierre Roloff. How are you? Welcome. Welcome, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. And um, gosh, how do we describe you? Uh, a man who has, well, indulged the, the world's most wealthy in, in gorgeous sweets and now brings it to the people, we exactly. could say. Is that, is that a conscious decision? It's like... God, these rich people shit me. I'm so sick of cooking for them. It's just lovely to do something heartfelt and do it for people that appreciate it and try and, I guess, offer it at a price point that allows more people to eat what I make rather than less people. Yeah. Because um, it's interesting. I'm looking at, you know, your bio. It's it's incredible. Pierre, uh, born in South Africa, trained in Europe, um, 
uh, amazing apprenticeship to an old patisserie in Switzerland, and we wanted to talk about a, a Swiss tart from there. But one of the things it says, it says... Uh, Spun sugar sculptures for the rich in St. Moritz. It sounds, sounds like a rap. What did I do? I spun sugar sculptures for the rich in St. Moritz. Yeah. Um, and what else? And then worked as the pastry chef for the royal family of Bahrain. My Lord. Mm. Um, and then worked with Robin Wickens. And you've been doing these pop-ups for how many years now? I started in 2007, so... It's, yeah, it's a while, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. But the incredible thing is that it's this solo undertaking that you do. Mm. It's not like you have a brigade of, yes, chef, yes, chef, you know, yes, jump in the deep fryer, chef, we will do this. You just keep all these balls in the air yourself, don't you? Yeah, I really enjoy that process of, I guess, keeping it personal, um, preparing everything myself, mm. um, serving everything myself. And, just and you serve it as well? Uh, sorry, plated. Oh right, um, I've got a team. Of, no, I've got a team of wait staff that. Right. Been with Who me does for a while. the dishes? Um, we all do. Really, I do a lot of dishes. We yeah. all we all chip in. Um, and you, and you, you, and the new home is across the road at Milkwood. Yeah, beautiful space. Um, I'm really lucky. Really, no, really excited to to be doing them there. Because they, Matt, how long's Milkwood been open for now? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably what five, six five, years. Five, six years. Yeah, mm. and we we thought you know when it first opened up, it was it was like it was a little tiny place, and it's slowly been growing and taking over. And there's a new room that's opening up that I guess because you've told me it's 25 people will hold about 25 people. Yeah, we could squeeze more in. See what I, I did then, Matt? That's my <laughs> brain working. Yeah. We could squeeze more in, but I think 25 is a good number for that space. It's a beautiful space. Alex and her um, her um, boyfriend have um, spent a lot of time creating it. Yes. So Alex Check actually out. worked with me back when I started the dessert eatings at Rosamond all those years ago. Yeah, wow. And her sister, Anna, is um, the manager of the dessert evenings, so she is in charge of the um, front of house, and she creates the playlist. So there's a beautiful connection between all of us. Um, so when you say playlist, so it's, it's, it's a marriage between music and ethereal dessert heaven. Absolutely. Anna, um, Anna, nice. Anna knows the sort of music I love. I, I tend to love, um, I mean, hip-hop's my main sort of... Um, Love when it comes to music. Does hip hop work with desserts? If you choose the right hip hop, so she obviously um, yeah, and the she right goes dessert. looking. I'm thinking a lot of pop rocks. Like something <laughs> going off in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. She finds tunes that will work in that setting. Yes, um, with um, uh, a lot less swearing and um, more rhythmic and, and softer. She wrote hip hop. Yeah, that's going to suit a lot more people rather than being yeah. too niche with the hip hop and, side and, of things. Uh, yes, polarizing. Yeah, you don't exactly. Want, yeah, you don't want polarizing on dessert time. No. Um, one thing I, that I think you've got to be, first of all, um, lauded for. There you go. There's a word. Um, is the price? Um, we were. T- I was talking with Matt, and we went, "Wow, double mm. nickel." Mm. To mm. use an American term, fifty-five dollars. Yeah, when that I, seems pretty good. When I started the dessert evenings back in 2010, it was fifty dollars. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of kept it. Um, as close to 50 as we could. There's a small, um, I guess, booking fee that's involved these days. Yes. But um, other than that, uh, I've tried to try try to make it as um, well, I reckon as, low as possible. That sounds good. All right, so that's um, that's coming up. It's starting on Thursday, April. That's this week, mm-hmm. Thursday. Um, and the kind of cool thing is there's three sittings, 7 p.m., 8.20, and 9.40, and you're changing the menu fortnightly. So how long are you going to be doing this for? Indefinitely, yeah, yeah. So I've kind of um, this is your thing. I've come to realise it's my thing. Um, yeah, I really love just it. Embrace it. Yeah, and just go with it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when I first started the dessert evenings, I always sort of uh, no, set. Uh, do this uh, until a, I do yeah, something else. Exactly. So. But actually, 
Um, this is all. When, no, damn it. I'm a dessert man. Yeah, let's just keep riding I'm the gonna, wave. I'm going to keep uh, yeah, doing that. But um, it's been said, well, reliably so, that um, <laughs> you yourself have created over 250 unique um, unique desserts. And mm. I was uh, I was extrapolating that out for you, and I think I mentioned it to you, and I mentioned it to Matt, that say, say you've got a dinner party and you've got six people, right, and you've got one each of Pierre's desserts on there. Well, Pierre's desserts, the ones that he's created, would stretch out matrix-like. Think of the matrix. <laughs> I want desserts. Lots of desserts. Tung, 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 tung. Over 40 tables of six on each would be your desserts. That's a hell of a lot of creativity, my friend. That's quite a bit, isn't it? That's really good. I'm like, how many dishes have you made, man? Desserts? Yeah, no, no, I mean, any. You probably count them on one hand. I got, maybe, I got, I got maybe three or four yeah. in my lifetime of cooking. But you've got all this. Have, have, have you got any – it's like asking about favourite children. And luckily I've done this on notice for you. I haven't actually <laughs> sprung this on you. Have you got any favourite children you could think? Who would be on table one? I have made some notes, actually. I um, hey. I used to do a best of um, every couple of months where I would serve the crowd favourites. Yes. Um, and so I've actually gone back through the database, through yes. the archives, and, yeah. and picked out six um, that, that appeared on six those. Six noble desserts. Exactly. Yeah. The first one is um, a dish composed of dulce de leche, soy milk, guava and meringue. I think that was probably one of the all-time favourites. Dulce de leche being the ubiquitous dessert of South America, exactly, is it not? Exactly, yeah. It's got a couple of names depending on which country you, you're in in South and America. It, if you're in Australia, it is the uh, the tin of uh, condensed milk that's mm. boiled in the tin until it turns into caramel. That's pretty exactly. much dulce de leche. Exactly. Is there vanilla in that as well? Dodge de leche, or is it just the caramel? It's, really it's just, just the caramel, It's milk yeah. caramel, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what have you got it with? So you've got the milk caramel, which is unctuous and caramelly, and then you've got and it And very with, sweet. And then you've lifted it to the moon with the guava. Mm, exactly, yeah. Because guava's so insane, isn't it? Citric-y. Is, what, what's the acid in guava? Is it citric acid? It's not malic. I would think it's citric acid, yeah. yeah so you've you think got the freshness, you've yeah. got a beautiful colour. Yeah. Um, An unfortunate texture sometimes. Yeah, there's always going to be a slight it's a, graininess it's to a it. It's a graininess, yeah, but, but yeah. if you can uh, sieve that out, it makes glorious jellies and things, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I love that flavour. Yeah, so what else is with that? So um, Soy milk. Soy milk. Yeah, which has sort of got that lovely earthy, yeah. um, neutral flavour. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going, yeah, of course, but that's, <laughs> that's cool. So that, that makes for a really kind of creamy, rich... Yeah. Um, and that's served uh, in one of your tubes type thing? No, that was a plated dessert. That was plated? With meringue. So you had, um, oh, kind yeah. of ticked all the boxes for me. You had, um, you had all the textural contrasts, the flavor contrasts, and a couple of interesting elements that you wouldn't necessarily all, um, usually find in it. Did you make dessert. your own dolce de leche or do you just get it in from somewhere else? I always make it myself. I tend to take it further than, um, or make it darker than, than, than a lot of people. So yeah. I, um, it's always going to be really sweet. But what I can control, I guess, is how much of the, that caramel flavour is, is in the product. So Yum. Um, All right. I make it myself and take it. Well, um, it's 12.50. We probably need to move on to a couple more. Um, but what are some of the other ones that you... Um, a second one that was a real favourite was a dish of plum, spelt, Highland tea and lemon. Thank you to my wife for the Highland tea. She bought it back from um, India. Crazy. So that's a really beautiful, high quality. Oh, so it's not Scottish tea. tea. No, no. No, it's not wearing a kilt. It's no. up on the Highlands. Got exactly, it. Exactly, yes. yeah. Yes. Um, I haven't found that over here, um, 
or available um, to buy. So I kind of used up the bag that my wife brought back from India. Oh, really? Okay. I don't think she actually knows that. <laughs> she does now. Uh-oh. <laughs> the cat's at the bag. Yeah. Um, another dish that was a real favourite was um, semolina, golden syrup, marmalade and macadamia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Tick, what do you reckon? Yeah. Are you there? It's making me hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, and hopefully this is happening for a lot of Melbourne at the moment and also friends that are listening in Canada too. Big hello. 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 Um, blueberry, olive oil, popcorn and salted caramel. So I guess when I actually look yeah. at these desserts, I can see I can see a pattern. I can see what what I tend to reach for. All right, well, how do you tell um, us your pattern? What's your pattern? Well, yeah. I guess I'm 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 always looking for. Um, you, you look for the lift, the unctuousness underneath it, exactly, and yeah. then a textural counterpoint. Yeah. Is that sort of the way you think? Yeah, that's what I can see here. Um, yeah. So elements of sweetness, but they're they're sort of balanced by um, and tempered. Yeah, exactly. A fruitiness, an acidity, um, textural contrast, and. Um, I just really love the flavour of grains and and um, those sorts of things. So semolina and spelt flour and all these sort of mm. um, flavours I find um, really interesting to work with. Well, I'm looking forward to it. But there was there was one thing I wanted to just sort of uh, mention to you. These are all sort of um, you're using the textures and the flavours and sort of where they sit in almost like a musical spectrum because, uh, you know, I think it's quite – when you speak about food, you talk about your base flavours mm. and your treble flavours and things like that. But also the, the very fact about making desserts and things like that. And throughout the ages, desserts have been a trifling almost for the wealthy mm. a, a lot of the times. And a lot of that has been driven by technology because mm. that's allied with um, the thing of presenting desserts. Like, you know, I was saying to Matt before, you know, at one stage – a whisk would have been was big news. And yeah, you've got a whisk. <laughs> can, can I come over and see it? And oh wow, you know, because you think about it. Well, you tell me what 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 sort of things did say a whisk make possible? Meringues that were well, meringues full stop. I guess. Like, yeah, what, what, and what would you do without a whisk? Well, you, you couldn't do it. And then also the fact that you make a, a genoise, you know, mm. like a, a sponge that you are able to actually whip in, incorporate air with heat. To make, say, a Zadion, you know, exactly. that was, but, but that's been the incredible thing. So, you know, we think about things like ices, refrigerations, bowls, um, materials for, you know, silicon. Mm. Like, I remember when silicon was just so expensive. Mm. So, is there any sort of technologies that you love and that you use and that you could not do without? Um, uh, good refrigeration and you know um, a freezer that runs really well that, that freezes really. You got a cold. blast freezer? I don't know. You don't? Would you like a blast? Would I would. Be, yeah, if, it, would, if, it would allow for some interesting techniques. Yeah. If, um, yeah, yeah, they're fun to work with. It, it means you can just do a few things that um, you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. That ability to freeze super quick, and you'd be able to get paco jets and use. I have a paco jet. And yeah, paco jets. Um, oh, what's a paco jet for those that don't know? You should probably explain. So paco jet is a um, Swiss designed um, or Swiss manufactured. Um, machine for making ice cream so, so it, the italians that came up with the paco jet was it italian no it was actually an american patent was it and really? here's a little fact that i found out just last week that um uh, it was discovered by a swiss man who was searching the the u.s patent office yeah. for patents that had um expired or were available for sale and he picked it up really and took it back and built it in Switzerland, and that's where the package it started, which is quite that's amazing. A smart Swiss man. Yeah, so he didn't actually invent it. So the an American engineer is, invented it, yeah. The, the idea is that you freeze a, a material 
super solid. So mm. you have to take it down to about minus 20 degrees C. Exactly. Around there. Um, and then these amazing blades mm. that might be titanium and cry. I don't know. They're, they're amazing. I think the top blade is gold. Oh, there you it go. It have to be gold. That's special. <laughs> but it almost slices it molecule by molecule. Yeah, incredibly fine. Yeah. And you get the most insane ice creams from it. Yes, and it's um yeah it's a different way of making ice cream. Um, they're a lot smaller than a conventional um, um, ice cream churner. Ice cream churner yeah. A lot cheaper, a lot lighter. Hmm. Um, so they're a lot more. Um, I guess they're very popular in restaurant kitchens because um, they're a little bit more affordable. They take up a lot less space. Well, I've been hearing that you can also churn to order, so you can churn an ice cream to order for your table five to ice cream. Right, there it is. You know. Yeah, and that's why if you if you're in Certain restaurants, you might hear that background noise of the Paco yeah, yeah, uh, right. doing its thing. Because it sounds a bit like a plane taking off, doesn't it? Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, Dehydrator is another piece of equipment that I've always really enjoyed. Um, pretty low technology, but it just allows for a lot of um, interesting preparations. And yummy garnishes. Yeah, exactly. Especially when coupled with, um, I use Teflon nonstick sheets mm. in the dehydrator, and that just means you can... Um, create preparations that would otherwise stick. Such as? Um, I do a lot of um, sort of fruit papers. Um, I do a lot of um, uh, twills, I guess, or wafers based on um, nut purees, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, so, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a package it will cost you four figures, easy. Yeah, there are. Yeah, uh, and, and then you need the blast chiller next to it. So exactly. You can actually, so, okay, so that's expensive, but a dehydrator. Uh, three three fifty for the one that I use, which is yeah, a really no, good, awesome. a really good model. Yeah, and one of the nicest things that I was given, I think Matt and I were here together when mm. we had that was um, uh, kimchi mm. put into a dehydrator. It's like vegetable jerky. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. Um, it's uh, you wouldn't use it for um, anything else after that, I'm guessing. The dehydrator. Oh yeah, because it would probably. Um, Permeate, yeah, yeah. Permeate. Yeah. Yeah. I've always word. made sure I had a separate dehydrator in every kitchen that I've worked in. Oh, yeah? Free. Yeah. And um, it's autumn, you know, I'll get you to do the Julie Andrews, uh, you know, these are a few of my favourite things. Lemons, rhubarb, I'm really, I, I love rhubarb, I've always oh, yeah. had a soft spot for rhubarb. So rhubarb How do you somewhere. poach rhubarb so that it keeps its shape properly that happens in restaurants that they seem to do it so well? Very, very slowly and I guess in a very controlled um, manner, you, I guess you've really got to look at the size of the rhubarb. And Don't boil sure. too hard. So Don't boil too hard. Take it easy. Um, I guess these days you could um, you could backpack it and sous vide it mm. if you really wanted to be particular. That yes. would be one way of doing it. But yeah. for mere mortals, rhubarb is a great thing around this time of year. Yeah. Um, Have you had any chestnuts yet? I haven't, no. Because yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a good thing for sweets. Yeah, they're on their way. Let's reiterate. It's happening um, from the 7th of April. Cross the road at Milkwood. You can get on a tram and just get out and uh, um, enjoy uh, incredible creations from Pierre. 55 bucks. Uh, congratulations on what you do to to give all this beautiful quality product to the masses here thank you cam oh, absolute pleasure thank you for coming in oh and also we've got you're going to be doing something uh, the feast on east that's happening up at bomber isn't it? i am involved in that yeah i've written my my um my dish for that i'm excited that's uh, we were talking that's a showcase of uh, east gippsland food um and there's all sorts of people yeah jesse gurner is going to be cooking from bomber uh victor leong from lee ho fook uh ryan flattery from mr jennings 
the Twitchinator. Tony Twitchit <laughs> from uh, Taxi is going to be doing the main, and you're going to be doing the uh, dessert. That love me. What, what 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 are you doing? Do you know yet? I've decided to um, highlight the rhubarb, lemon, and olive oil. Yes, coming out of that region. So I'm excited about All that. Right. So that's one hundred and ten dollars. Go to the uh, Bomba. Uh, website that's going to be happening on April 17th. Matt, we all good? He's waving his hands again. Next week, Cameron. Yes, Matt. We have a familiar voice. We do. From the, uh, from the former Triple R show, uh, Dirty Deeds, we have a digger on. He's going to talk us about what to plant, what to do in your garden. Diggers back. He totally is. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, Pierre, it's good to have you back. Thank you. Uh, we are going over to studio. No, so they're coming in here. Sunday lunch is up next. Sunday lunch, they're coming in. They're ready to come in. Barging on in. Barge on in, folks. So we should go. Um, thank you so much for listening, you guys. Namilla's coming in. Hey, Namilla. Um, <laughs> one o'clock, and we're gone because we do things on time around here. Yeah. You know what? Thanks for coming in again, Pierre. Thank See you. you. Cheers, guys. Thanks, man. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.